With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to Fulhamish, your independent voice of Fulham FC on the back of a much needed win up against local rivals QPR down at Loftus Road where once we did temporarily live. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host this evening and I'm joined by Mr Farrell Monk. Buongiorno listeners. And Mr Nathan Martin. Hello, hello. It's uh, good to hear from you both. Yeah, it's nice to hear and, from you as well. And you, Jack. And you, Nathan, actually. It's been a long time. Farrell, I've yeah. heard yeah. enough of you. <laughs> I, I think feel... I've, heard enough of my, <laughs> I've heard enough of my own voice. <laughs> what happened last night? Because I was watching uh, Don't Tell Anyone, a, 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 the QPR feed that was online. And, uh, you know, apparently something, something, something happened. So what, what went down? Uh, well, I was supposed to... Well, I was doing the hot mic, uh, supposedly, with Archie Rintuck. And we had a bit of technical difficulties before the start of it. And basically we couldn't get him hooked up. So uh, it was just me bantering with myself for two hours, um, uh, which was a challenge in itself, especially since I could get Archie uh, coming through on my speakers, but not going through to the feed, which meant I had Archie rabbiting in my ear as well while I was trying to talk about the game, um, which was... uh, which, let's just call it good practice. Uh, I mean, look, I did a hot mic with Ben for the first game back for the Brentford game, and I've been doing quite a lot of them with, with work and things. And doing that as a two-person job is hard enough. So doing it on your own for 90 minutes, Farrell Monk, I salute you. <laughs> well, I did have... Uh, I, I was there with um, a few people uh, giving questions and whatnot, so that made it slightly easier. Didn't re- didn't feel like I was on my own the whole time watching watching the game by myself so it did make it slightly easier to have have some people there um big shout out to a guy called Stee who decided to change his name to Steed uh on the on the feed which which gave me a lot of a lot of pleasure to be yeah. honest well it was, a, it was very enjoyable all right Farrell let's start this off with a couple of three word reviews so there was <laughs> I mean the numbers were slightly down from the Leeds game where seemingly 300 thousand people decided to write in um, but there were some absolute corkers this week maybe it's quality over quantity uh starting off with jared sager's queen's park bangers nice. um baumler uh, at da bomler uh, why so serious um mike levy's got all the lights here with a uh, sigh of relief very uh lots of uh, Cyrus Christie centric ones. Jack, you'll be pleased with this at AP underscore one six two seven. The Irish Cafu. Ben and Jarman finally... submitted that one as well. To be fair. Oh, did he? Well, double whammy. Um, I prefer AP underscore one one six two seven. Sorry, Jarms. And uh, finally, we'll finish off with Sophie Johnson's at Fulham eighty nine. Tenor for torture. Lovely. That that very much sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I love I love I love the tenor for torture one because I I think all of us, even though we got the three points, all of us felt exactly the same way. 
the game itself, I suppose, which is the natural next calling point, was was rather less enjoyable and took a turn for the worse almost immediately after kickoff. Yeah, it was quite incredible because um, one of my first notes that I was going to talk about was the fact that in QPR's first two games after lockdown was that they had conceded very, very early on with the first shot on target against them. And I was going to, and as soon as I was going to mention that, the the same thing happened. Well, for QPR and obviously against against uh, against Fulham, which you know is not is not the start that you you need at any level of the of the game. Um, and it, it was clear to it was clear straight from the off within the first five ten minutes that QPR came with a game plan to to float balls into the back post, and they'd obviously Mark Warburton saw that as as a weakness, and it clearly worked for them. Um, you would think that Tim Ream, with all of his experience, would be able to handle it, but unfortunately, you know, I think it's I think it's half not the greatest defending, but also you've got to give credit to Jordan Hugel. It's it's a good leap at the back post, and the game plan worked for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Nathan, what were your thoughts on it? It's a it's a real stinker from Tim Ream, and who hasn't looked quite himself since lockdown has, has ended, really. No, and, and actually, I think Reem and, and Hector both sort of had a bit of an off night last night, and we were we were lucky to, to come out with the three points. That's probably the worst I've seen Reem in, you know, since maybe he was coming back from his injury during the Premier League uh, season, and he he just looked a bit lethargic, a little bit off. It's a great header. I mean, you know, he gets a lot of power on it, out jumps him, bullies bullies Reem. Um, but it, but it was just really, really poor. And, you know, it's just like the Leeds game as well. It was another one of these games where we just, we don't look up for it. We don't look like we have a game plan. And uh, after after that start, I, I'm shocked that we uh, ended up with the result that we did. Yeah, I mean, I was going to come on to, we'll come on to our equaliser in a little bit. But there was a period in between where it, it did look a little bit messier. And QPR had some chances, Farrell, to, to put us almost to bed immediately. Yeah, um, Nathan touched on it very briefly that Hector didn't have the greatest game. He he certainly didn't start off well, um, and you know after going one nil down, there was a there was a move going down the left where Isaiah Samuel, who's been one of their breakout stars of the season, totally put Michael Hector on toast and fed it back to Luke Amos, who fired over when you know that is that you know that the cliche he's going to rue it, and he certainly will be thinking about it uh, for a few weeks to come, um, and. The one thing that Fulham decided to check, what both teams were kind of doing in the first half was trying to win the ball in it high up the pitch, and which is something we don't see from Fulham um, much this season. And it started to work and we fashioned a few, I wouldn't even call half chances, they're more quarter chances. And, you know, we grew into the game and um, there were quite a few opportunities where balls were falling to, uh, we were getting balls into the box earlier and, the, and we were just getting a little bit of break, uh, a bit of luck from the breakdown. Just before Harry Arta um, fires the equaliser in, uh, Harrison Reed also had um, a speculative effort uh, from about 20, 25 yards from the breakdown, which hit the inside of the post as well. So, you know, are we actually seeing a proper full-on game plan tactic from Scott Parker and changing it up considering uh, we are no longer have... Uh, Alexander Mitrovic for at least the next two games. Well, you've taken the question right out of my mouth and it was what I was about to say to Nathan. And we've had debates on here before about, you know, look, when nobody's taken away from from what how important Alexander Mitrovic is to this side and how crucial he is and how much of a kind of centrepiece he is for the entire unit. But the one thing he definitely can't do is press from the front because he doesn't have the pace or mobility to execute that press 
without him there, it did look a little bit more, Nathan, like we were able to, to push up and put pressure on the back four and try and stop them getting out at all. Yeah, and, and, and you know, that that's something when you have Bobby and you've got Caviero and, and Knockhart that they can they can do that. They can put a bit of that, put a bit of pressure, and, and that was good to see. I think, Farrell, to your point, you know, I, I like the pressing as far as a game plan from Scott. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. It's good to see. What frustrated me was less about our, our pressing and sort of um, that side of the game was that more once we had the ball, we we sort of didn't really have a game plan of how we were going to move it together. And we didn't, in my opinion, some of the times early in the season when if Mitrovic has been out for a little bit or, you know, we, we could see the bit more as free flowing action. And that just did not happen in any sort of sustained way last night. And that's what was frustrating. You know, players like Bobby and uh, Caviero just kind of went missing a bit. So, yes, they were pressing well, but then we couldn't put the knife to them when we had the opportunity. Mm. Nathan is absolutely spot on with that. Um, there was I did mention quite a few times speaking last night that, you know, well, we're winning the ball high and we were a bit dithery on it. And, you know, as, as much as being maligned about Fulham's counter-attacking abilities, when we were winning it, we were a bit, you know, we were taking two or three touches too many. There was one where um, it was 3v2. It was in the second half and um, the ball was played out wide to Knockhart, which was the right thing to do because then it stretches their defence. And then Knockhart literally dribbled straight into their four defenders who had closed closed in. Well, not four, there was like two or three even. Um, and I think that other team, any other team in this league would know exactly what to do. And within, you know, three or four touches, maybe we'd be getting an eff- a decent effort on target. And a quick thing about Alexander Mitrovic, in the four, four games now that he hasn't started this season, we've only dropped points once, which was... Uh, Charlton away, the the nil nil Charlton away, and the most boring game of football. The of most all time. boring, yeah, the most boring game of football of all time. Um, and also the others, we also played without him uh, in the FA Cup game uh, against Aston Villa, where we won two one. Which again, we played a much higher pressing. And you know, I think that having players like Knockhart and Cavalero and Bobby Reed leading those kind of oh well, and Harry Arter and Reed behind them very industrious players I think that kind of pressing game really works and we you know the more we do it the better the more practice we're going to get it and the better we're going to be at it one other point is I, I still can't get in my out of my head what I watched from Leeds against us over the weekend you know and we, we look at that what what a counter-attack is supposed to look like and Farrell's exactly right with the point that he made about the 3v2 and sort of knowing where to go when you get in that position because we were just clinically cut open on on saturday it takes one or two opportunities and if qpr had had 60 or 70 percent of of that sort of finishing you know wouldn't have been much of a contest and that was sort of a reminder again last night of what we're missing under scott parker is that lack of cohesion going forward and it's a shame yeah no i completely agree i mean farrell you mentioned there the aston villa game in the cup and a man who scored that day was a was a man <laughs> who who happened to equalize yesterday at Harry Art has been a, a much maligned figure uh, at Fulham and there's a lot of chat about him only playing because he's Scott Parker's brother-in-law, etc, etc, etc. But he made a difference yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wouldn't say it was an incredibly uh, good performance by him. Yeah, he picks up a, a very good goal and you could perhaps look at Liam Kelly, the, the QPR goalkeeper. Uh, he probably should have got a stronger hand to it, but... He was full of energy. He was full of running. He, you know, uh, he did break up a lot of their play. He was um, 
part of that hunting impacts that that Fulham were doing and you know it you know to actually play it play a, a high pressing game and win those balls up top you need the support of of all the players around you not just not just one player grafting up there and Harriata was part of that team that got got the got the got Fulham back into the game um you know like I said before we I think that Harriata also had another shot just before there and you know, fair play to him. You know, he's he's getting a bit of stick from the fans. I think there's um, maybe a tiny bit unjustified, um, but it's maybe because they're what, you know, we've seen better performances in the past from other players in the squad in his in his kind of position. You know, when you're looking at people like Stefan Johansson, who I personally think is a better all-round player, but, you know, Harry Arter, you know, he's a former Premier League player. He's He's been around the block. He knows what he's doing, and fair play to him. You know, his his obviously his his position in the team is on the line, and I think it was a quite an admirable performance considering. Yeah, I mean that's. I think his his midfield partner Nathan is going to get a lot of the credit, but you know the fact that he picks up the ball there and has a go. And yes, I agree that the keeper doesn't cover himself in major glory. But it's a good hit, Nathan. It is. It, it is, and and he, you know, he he strikes it pretty well, and he's had a couple opportunities um, like that where, where where he's where he's come close, and you know, there's there's something to be said that if you if you play in a squad that may that may lack what we keep saying with this sort of offensive cohesion or a plan, then you're going to need players to step up and and take a pop every once in a while. You're going to need that sort of individual moments of brilliance, and you know, we had two of those last night, and Arter is one of those players that. You know, you, you're not sure how he'd fit, fit in a, into a Bielsa system, but uh, you know, if you just tell him to go out there, run around, and, and see what you can do, then then good things happen from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we went in at the break one all, and um, it, it was one of those ones where it felt a bit on a knife edge. It was one of those it, a, a feeling, I suppose, around the camp that it was either going to be to go one way or the other. And actually, when we came out for the second half, Farrell. It was it was QPR who very much had the advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they were doing uh, they were doing all the better things, and they were uh, sorry they were doing all the things that they were doing so well at, in the, especially in the first twenty minutes of the first half. They were getting the ball out wide um, and creating good opportunities to get decent balls in the box. What was quite interesting is that they changed the way that they were putting the ball in the box. Their first goal and their second and their second chance both came from floated balls to the back post for Jordan Hugill, and then they changed that up to to, to sort of put uh, Reem and Hector off by sort of fizzing balls in and um, getting Luke Amos and uh, and uh, uh, ball I think it was to uh, to come in late uh, to try and uh, get those. Um, you know, fortunately for us, it didn't work. You know, it's it shows a bit of uh, tactical nows from Mark Warburton to try and do something proactive to to try and change things up. But I think that our defence actually reacted well to it. Um, I think that, you know, they learned from their mistakes in the first half. You know, at Ream and Hector, we do probably have one of the better, if not the best, centre-back pairing in the league. Um, obviously, they are liable to the to the odd mistake. But, you know, I was saying on the feed last night, Tim Ream has you know, perhaps made a little bit of a mistake um, last night. And obviously he was at fault for the Leeds second goal at the weekend. But, you know, that's the only two mistakes I can really think of him at all um, since for quite some time. And Michael Hector hasn't really put a foot wrong since coming in uh, in January. So, 
you know, I think it's re- we have to really give the defense a lot of credit here, especially especially um, Cyrus Christie, who really hasn't played very much since since the end of lock. Sorry, since the end of lockdown, and he came in and did an excellent job, not not just defensively but also in attack. Yeah, um, and we're going to come on to his goal, and I, I obviously want to talk about the Irish Cafu in great detail. Um, but before you do that, you, you spoke about Michael Hector there, and I thought it was a good time to bring in a couple of questions. Um, because Alex at Pure Power asked us, for as good as he is a defender one-on-one, would you agree that Michael Hector is a little bit somewhat poor positionally? He seems to be caught out quite a lot, and I think this would become exposed in the Premier League. Paul Andrews kind of doubled that down, I think, by saying Michael Hector was lunging a lot yesterday. Pre-lockdown, he was making these tackles, but it was count- countless the amount of times they got round him last night into space. Why do you think this would be? He'd had six months off before January, and I assume by that he's inferring that the three months off shouldn't have potentially stopped him from from hitting the ground running. I'm going to throw this to you, Nate. Now, what were your thoughts on Michael Hector? I, I agree. Didn't I think had the best night in the world last night? So I think there's a difference between what where Hector is now and where he might be if if we went up to the Premier League or where we could infer where he's going. I think Hector had, had you know definitely did have a bit of lunges. He wasn't quite as sure. And I think there's also an argument to be made that he does get out of position a bit. I would hesitate to say whether that's endemic to Hector and whether a better manager and as he matures, whether he would, would retain having those same those same sort of flaws. I think he's been largely pretty good this year. I think he and Reem are obviously still a little bit rusty after the break. Um, and, and, you know, when it comes to diving in or, or when you make that challenge, some of that's about instincts, it's about game time. Um, and, and both of them obviously are, are just not quite there. Um, you know, I, I still was thinking, I was like, man, I, you know, I'd be happy to build a defense around and a back line around someone like Michael Hector. So I'm not too worried going forward, but I do think that he, he he's not been his, his sort of sterling self um, since coming back. Barrel? Yeah, I do. I do have to agree. Um, it's it has been quite clear that he's one of the players that's maybe struggled a touch um, getting uh, properly match fit after lockdown. Um, you would think out of all the squad, um, he'd be ready for like a long pre- a long pre season of just doing fitness work, ready to come back in, as we saw um, in his extended pre season uh, this season when he came into the team in January. Um, there, I would say that there was literally maybe a couple of moments of shakiness last night, but apart from that, I thought Michael Hector didn't put a massive foot wrong. Um, you know, there was a there was another point in the second half where I think Isaiah Samuel got round him again, but he showed the presence of mind to read it um, and sort of anticipate him going down the line and, you know, absolutely shrugged off um, who is, you know, one of... They must... QPR probably have the biggest uh, two wingers uh, in in the league and he shrugged him off and uh, batted him out of play. So I think that showed an actual sort of very good recovery from him, just to give one example. Um, you know, there is obviously a question mark over Remus is, is his... Um, is his abilities fading as he's as he's aging slightly? You know, I think this lockdown we've kind of seen the best and worst of Tim Ream in that regard. I think he did perform very well last night. Not not his not his best that we've seen over the past few seasons. Um, but you know, hopefully, you know, till the end of the season, there are no more mistakes from either of them. Let's move things on then to Cyrus Christie and that goal because. I mean, it was said on, uh, I believe, the a couple of occasions that it was his first goal for Fulham. We know that that's not true. Uh, it's his first league goal for Fulham, though, and an important time to get one because 
We've been struggling for goals since the break. It was an absolute cracker. And, and with Arder, which is a bit more speculative, you know, Cyrus just just absolutely clips it and hits it so well. I think, uh, you know, in, in, in baseball, you have a, they call it a daisy cutter that sort of would skim the tops of the, uh, the, the flowers or whatever. And he just hits it so low and flat. Um, and it's just, it was just, just beautiful. And it's, uh, I know you're, you're pleased to see him ha- have a good run out on the side. It was nice to see him get man of the match, uh, both in our player Raider and also on the Fulham, uh, website and, and things. And so it's just, it's lovely to see with everything he's gone through him coming out there and he does add something a bit different and, you know, it would be very happy to see him con- continue in that role. Yeah. I mean, taking that onwards, Farrell, we looked at the player map after the Leeds game and Dennis Adoy was basically completely unused on the right-hand side. Now, I don't know whether that's because of, of the way that he was playing and trying to shackle the outside you know, elements of, of Bielsa's system, or it's just because people aren't completely comfortable with him in that right-back role. And, you know, I thought he did okay at left-back yesterday. And uh, But I do think that Cyrus adds so much drive and, and power going forwards because, he, you know, he, he's quite an intelligent footballer he is a little bit dithery at times on the ball but he does tend to sort of attack the space which is something you don't always see from Fulham yeah absolutely I think that one thing that Cyrus Christie did I I never actually saw him lose the ball high up the pitch um, that perhaps you might see from from an attacking player especially in the wide positions Um, I did think he was very productive Um, he did take it around a few players in the first half in uh, specifically um you know the 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 left back Luke Manning didn't know whether to stick or twist with Cyrus Christie because he was actually mixing it up very very well whether to come inside and play a pass or or try and take it down down to the line and you know for for a player that you would think might be a bit rusty um, I think he performed excellently Dennis Adoy on the other hand I, you know I maybe him and Anthony Knockhart just don't have that rhythm together it did feel like at the game against Leeds that. Dennis Adoy just didn't trust Knockhart to to pass in the ball, so he probably thought, "Well, there's no point in me going forward. I'm not I'm not going to be I'm not going to be used here. I might as well just save my energy." Whereas yesterday, you know, with with uh, Cavalero in front of him, they you know we didn't see the trademark Dennis Adoy run one crazy run up the pitch, but you know he was certainly more effective higher up the pitch. Um, you know, we we've seen. I you know, I'm starting to feel like I actually prefer Dennis Adoy at left back. Like just before we saw, just before uh, the start of lockdown, you know, he 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 moved into that left back role um, against Preston, I think, and we won the game, and he performed excellently. And the same with Swansea as well. Yeah. Um, when he had to, when he had to start against there because Joe Bryan was injured, and you know, the fact that we haven't probably had a long discussion about Dennis Adoy is probably a testament to how well he's been performing this season when perhaps he might have been written off um, last season and even the season before because he didn't play a lot of that season because um, the centre-back roles were kind of filled with um, uh, Thomas Callas and Tim Ream for long periods of that of the of the season and we had Target and Fredericks and and sometimes Sessegnon in the other defensive position so I think it's a, it you know there should be a huge pat on the back for Dennis Adoy who in the latter part of his career, he's, you know, he's still pushing, um, pushing for starting positions and he's showing his versatility and he's showing what a, what a consummate professional he is. Yeah. Well, it's easy to forget that he did actually come in as a left back. That was, that was the position he came in as, you know, right footed left back. 
uh, and that was the position he'd played most before he came into Fulham. So he only played out right back that first game because of injuries, if I'm not mistaken. And then he did the back thing and the rest of it is history. Um, <laughs> but, um, but you know, so Fulham finished the game. This was the team on the pitch. Rodak, Adoy, Reem, Hector, Le Marchand, Christie, Sessegnon, McDonald, Harrison Reed, Josh Onomer, Joe Bryant. I mean, assuming that Onomer's playing a false nine which I'm going to give Scott some credit. It's basically a goalkeeper, seven defenders, two defensive midfielders, and Josh Onoma. It's, um, it, that's insane. Nathan. Yeah, I, we, I remember one time we had a debate about what would happen if you just put 11 players in front of the goal. Like, how, you know, how, how many goals do you think that, that would be scored against you if, they, if you just stuck them all in front of the goal? And Scott sometimes feels like he's just going down that route. And it's, uh, and, and you know, at, at some points it reminds me of I've always supported underdogs and with, with, with you know, supporting the U.S. national team and at times when you're playing teams that are far, far um, superior to you in skill and you're just defending for your life. And it, uh, you know, you, you wouldn't think that uh, Fulham was, was just playing QPR for that sort of, uh, for, for that sort of move. And Scott, uh, yeah, it's the football, classic football manager mode, just the ch- chuck on defenders, hoof it down the pitch and, uh, you know, hold, hold out for the result. And, you know, thankfully it worked last night, but it was, it, it was sort of a bit staggering. Yeah, well, I mean, we got an email from Chris Frank Farrell, and he says, um, in honour of Scotty breaking new ground with his switch to the most defensive formation in history at the end of last night's game, I thought I'd refresh the stats on Fulham holding on to win game. Now, Fulham hmm. have gone to five at the back to defend a good position now 14 times under Scott Parker, another five since I last wrote. He said they have still not conceded a goal on any of these occasions. But Fulham seems to be on a good run now, whether they go five at the back or not. We've successfully held on to leads in the final 15 minutes of the last 16 consecutive 15 of the last 16 consecutive occasions. Nine times going five at the back and seven times not. In fact, we're quite generally good at holding on to leads. We've led in 23 games in this season in all competitions, going on to win 20 and draw three. However, the only two games we've come back from falling behind are both against QPR. We've drawn five times and lost 13. Mm. It's just quite interesting that you know we, we do kind of knock Scott Parker for it a little bit because it, it seems a little bit excessive and there doesn't seem to be an outball but you know them hitting the bar aside yesterday it does seem to be working yeah um I was going to mention the fact that after we started throwing on every single defender we could poss- possibly can I mean we didn't really have many forward if you can call them forward players to to put on you know Delatore is he now now forward we're not not really sure and um and Sylvester Jasper is more of a sort of tricky winger. But, you know, um, yeah, it is. I was also going to go on to say that I think the only time we've actually lost the lead this season um, with like in the final stages is against Sheffield Wednesday when we and that was like right at the dying death. And I didn't I don't think we went to five at the back that time. But, you know, it it's working. You know, we're you know, we could talk about the performances. We can talk about how Scott Parker is performing. But the one thing you have to admit is that we're not in the position um, that we are in the league by accident. You know, you do have to give Scott Parker some credit. Other managers with a lot more experience would be not handling this squad, squad very well. Um, a lot of other managers um, wouldn't know what the best system to play. Um, you know, Scott Parker has been at the club now for seven years, um, you know, all by it with a short break in the middle. He does know and has played with a lot of these players before and knows the sort of ethos of the club and the, and the coaching staff and whatnot. I think some credit needs to go to go that way. And, you know, 
if we look at our opposite number, as you said, Mark Warburton and, and QPR, you, you know, that he's a far more experienced manager. And yet with that squad, they've lost the lead countless times this season. And they don't have a bad, they don't have a bad team. Um, you know, you would, you would kind of suggest that QPR probably are in the position that they are, you know, but they have flirted with playoffs this season. They're not a bad team. They haven't really handled coming back from lockdown too well. Um, but, you know, there is some credit here that needs to go to Scott Parker. I'm not saying that Scott Parker is say, is playing the best, most attractive football that we've ever seen down at the cottage, especially in recent memory. But, you know, it is tough in any situation to lose two games in the bounce to two rivals, two direct rivals, and have to pick the squad back up. And, you know, the performance wasn't the best, but it was it was enough. And we did get we did get the win all by it, even though chucking on every single defensive player and still having two headers from um from Manning or Ryan Manning uh, right at the end, one of which thundered the the crossbar. He must be he must be absolutely devastated that didn't go in. But you know, I think a good win away from home against one of the rivals and um you know Mark Warburton did say in it in his in his pre match notes that the players are really fired up for this one. And, you know, I want to prove something to the fans that we're not just playing out the season. There's nothing to play for. And they, you know, I would say that QPR played quite well. I would actually go as far as to say that overall, the Fulham performance was probably not our best of of the of the Leeds and Brentford ones, which might be a controversial statement. But, you know, got the win. That's the most important thing. And um, now we're, especially with the results as they are, um, perhaps we've got, the, you know, the season you know, the promotion hunt is still on. Slightly, perhaps, maybe. Yeah, I think you're exactly right with Scott. We, we, I, I would give him the credit I, of all the criticisms we have for him. Some of the defensive and the closing out matches is, is not one of them. You do need to have a bit of that cynicism if you're going to go up in the championship. I think it gets back to that point earlier that I like seeing the pressing. It's just that lacking of the other part of the game plan. So Scott understands how to close matches out. He just doesn't know how to start them. He doesn't know how to put us on the right front foot. And if we if we don't go up this year, that will be the reason. It's not because we throw seven defenders on at the end. I, I, I appreciate that. Just I'd like to see a little bit more in the first, you know, 65. There are ups and downs of Scott Parker's tendency, and we'll discuss them, I imagine, a little bit more in the question section. But right now, um, I want to talk about one more thing before we go for a quick break, and that is that the rumours today that Anthony Knockart is going to be made a permanent Fulham player for £10.5 million within the next 48 hours. Um, Farrell, can you shed any light here? It, you know, it always looked like it was going to be a loan with a view to buy, but I figured that maybe it was the entire deal that was worth about ten point five million. But now new reports are saying that that's ten point five on top of the original four million loan deal. I, I'd, I'd be, I'd be absolutely staggered if it was ten point five million outright. You know, obviously the the game has changed significantly, especially the loan system in in the last few years. You know, as I mean, I'm sure Chelsea are making probably more money off their loan players than they are off, you know, any of their permanent signings, throwing them out all the time. Um, you know, as we've seen already, we've this season that Fulham have made permanent transfers of uh, Bobby Reed and um, Ivan Cavallero for seemingly hundreds of hundreds of millions of pounds or whatever you want to believe in the in the papers. I it's probably the you know, ten and a half million is is um the full sort of fees they'll probably be you know the loan fee as you said will probably be like four million pounds based upon his appearances this season there's probably a bonus for for if Fulham go up to the Premier League you know um but it's probably not what the what 
the, the transfer that the fans want to see. I don't think Anthony Knockhart has uh, done himself very many favours this season with some of his performances. I think he's trying too hard to impress. Um, I think he's trying to win over the fans um, with his attitude more than his actual sort of skill and 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 goals and product productivity. Um, unlike Cavallero, who, you know, will not have a particularly good game, but will still come away with a goal or an assist and be more productive. Whereas Knockhart tries to do a lot of things all by himself. And and I don't think that's in the team kind of spirit of of, um, uh, of spreading things around. Um, you know, I think that we could probably do better than Anthony Knockhart, given the funds that are available. But also, though, the news that people want to see is that Harrison Reed is actually made permanent, not not Knockhart, because, you know... If, Finally, we've got Harrison Reed in a um, injury-free uh, because the amount of times this season he'd have a couple of games under his belt, we see how impressive he is, and then he get injured. Now he's come through three games unscathed. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, get a really good run of the team and get him made permanent because I think he's the type of player that really fits into our system. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk in between whether Arter and whether we should be starting Arter and not Reed or Reed and not Arter or maybe McDonald or Johansson or whatnot. I believe now out of those four I've just mentioned that Harrison Reed is probably our best performer at the moment. You know, not only is he good at mopping up play, but he, you know, he, he doesn't just tackle, but he then puts in a decent ball and is very productive, you know, whereas, you know, without goals and assists, whereas Knockhart on the other hand, I just, I just don't see that he's, bringing enough to the team he's shown it in fits and starts we've seen how good he can play but just not enough and certainly not not enough to justify you know shelling the amount of money that's been thrown around yeah Nathan I mean your thoughts on this it seems like one that to me this screams Fulham have had a pre-agreement in for for knockout before the season started and this is just the, the you know fulfillment of an obligation um that we'd already agreed because I can't see them looking at this season and going, yeah, what an output from this guy. <laughs> he, um, he he definitely deserves to, to be a Fulham player permanently. Yeah, 100%, 100%, Jack. I mean, this is not based on his performance this year. And and again, it was probably one of those calculated risks that the that the, that the team took, you know, ho- hopefully assuming that, he, that we would have been at a different position in the table by now and that, you know, Anthony would have delivered a bit more. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't think it's a, it's a great signing, but I sort of take it that, you know, like you said, this is probably something that's already been written in. We've not really making the, the decision. It was made far earlier. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, I, I do think, and I will say this for Anthony Knockhart, that under a different manager and under a different system where the, the primary objective isn't just cross the ball to Mitrovic and hope, um, that we might, you might be able to see a bit more of him and, and a little bit more from him. Um, but at the moment, I don't necessarily think he's being used to his full potential. I, I think part of that is on him. I, I think he has this kind of bizarre moment where he thinks he has to beat three people every time he gets the ball. Hmm. Um, but, I, you know, as Farrell mentioned, I, I do think that there's a lot of this Fulham side that seems to be made up of individuals. Um, and, and for the first time, it, it does feel a bit like FIFA sometimes where you just get a player and you're like, right, I'm going to beat the entire team and score. Um, and it doesn't always, you know, work out like that. And, and ultimately, I think that part of that has to come down to the coaching and, and down to the kind of ethos that's been put in place. It's not just go out and play well, boys. It's trying to, you know, implement systems and that. So, I mean, I'm not entirely upset by it. I do think that somewhere in there there's a good player. And if Fulham do remain in the championship, 
Um, there's definitely a decent championship player in there. Um, I do worry, though, that if we were to sneak our way up, then we now have an Anthony Knockout on the books who potentially isn't capable of, of playing in the Premier League. I mean, look where Brighton are. Look at the mm. relegation fight that Brighton have found themselves in. And that's and they still thought, thought fit to get rid of Anthony Knockout for that. Then it doesn't speak volumes about his ability to play in the Premier League. Yeah, if we're um, talking about baseball terminology and Cyrus Christie hits daisy cutters, then uh, Knockout seems to hit a lot of foul balls into, into the uh, wide of the goal. Um, you know, considering the <laughs> amount of times he likes to cut in and thump one right into the stands. It comes off once in a, once in a blue moon. But it does look good when it good. does, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. There was Obviously, we're talking about Arta's Howitzer versus uh, Aston Villa in the Cup. Obviously, Knockhart scored, well, yeah. knock, knock scored one too, yeah. Fantastic. Right, we will be back after the break to talk about the upcoming Birmingham game and answer your questions. Don't go anywhere. Would you like the latest Fulham breaking news straight to your phone? I thought you might. If so, sign up to the Fulhamish WhatsApp channel and you'll receive regular match day updates, transfer updates, breaking FFC news and podcast alerts. It's 100% free and you can opt out anytime if you want. To sign up, go to fulhamish.co.uk forward slash WhatsApp and follow the instructions. That's fulhamish.co.uk forward slash WhatsApp. Welcome back to Fulhamish, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Jack Collins and I'm still joined by Farrell Monk. Hello. The one man band of the commentary world uh, and Mr. (laughs) Nathan Martin. Hello, hello, hello. Our our favourite American back on the podcast again. Boys, we have three points in the bank after our third attempt uh, trying to get ourselves on the board. So that's nice. Um, but we go again very quickly because this is the nature of the new normal. And we play Birmingham City on Saturday at the Cottage. We were going to get a Birmingham fan on, um, but the fact is that they are playing right now. Uh, and so I didn't think it was uh, quite working in terms of getting someone on. However, Farrell, can you give us a score update? Well, I mean, so they're playing at home. If you, I mean, if there's such thing as home and away these days, at home to relegated, threatened Huddersfield, who it looked like they were going to have a bit of a double relegation. And Birmingham have only given them a lifeline and currently is Birmingham City nil, Huddersfield Town three, um, which is not very good reading. Not for if you're a Birmingham Blues. fan, no, not no. at all. I mean, they were look. I mean, there's so much has act. I mean, so much for all the null and voiders and points per game. But there's, there's, you know, there were nine games left to play. So much has changed. Birmingham were pretty safe before that, feeling pretty safe before the lockdown. Now they're, you know, a seven point gap to relegation zone doesn't feel so safe anymore. And the same goes for QPR, only a point, uh, a point above them. They yeah. were looking like one of the teams that were going to challenge for the playoffs. And now they're looking over their shoulder too. Yeah, also the bottom teams just seem to keep picking up points, which is kind of mad. And it's just one of those really interesting you know, developments that we've had in the championship. I mean, Nathan, I'm going to come to you now and just say, you know, what what would you do for, for the Birmingham game? Would you make many changes? Um, I, don't, I don't think I'd make too many changes. I wouldn't mind seeing Cyrus back out there again. Um, but no, I, I think I'd probably I'd probably stick with it with with the same side for the for the most part. Uh, Reem, Hector, Cyrus, a lot of them. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'd be curious to hear what the other two of you think, but not not much I would change. Farrell, the the only change that I would perhaps make is um, 
if we're assuming that obviously Mitrovic is still suspended, we're assuming that we're not going to see the immediate return of Abubakar Kamara anytime soon. The big change I think I would make is I would start Josh Onoma because I thought we looked a far greater threat. And it also freed up TC, who played up a, a lot better after Onoma's introduction. He's the player I think I'd bring in for Harry Arter. Yeah, absolutely. That was going to be the first one that I was going to say. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Josh Onoma and... You know, Scott Parker banging about, banging on about him, uh, you know, earlier on the season, like he's going to be a good, good player for us and whatnot. We are, you know, in the middle part of the season, we were starting to see it before he picked up an injury. And in, we have seen him, you know, all by cameos, we have seen how good he can be. I mean, he's picked up, we can call it an assist for uh, Cyrus Christie's goal at the weekend. I, I think he brings something different to the team. The only the only difference I would say with that is that if we are going to keep playing this high pressing game, is Onoma the, the man for it? Um, because you would sense that Arta's naturally more sort of a hassle and Harry type player, which he did to good effect um, last night. The other sort of like um, left field kind of thing that I might change no pun intended is maybe bringing in Joe Bryan for Anthony Knockhart um when he did come on last night he was very good and it might go under radar a little bit he was very productive on the ball he had a few successful dribbles and was very good at bringing the ball up the pitch and um alleviating pressure wherever he can of course winger was where he started out his career and he's made his way further back uh, to a wing back kind of fullback position um you know perhaps we could see him starting on the left wing and then moving Cavalero over to the right, which is obviously where he's capable of doing. Um, but maybe it might be a risk to switch things up too much after after a win. Um, but, you know, I think I would personally try and maybe keep it the same. Um, but uh, touch and go whether I would move uh, Onima in for, for Harry Arta. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's where the where the changes are going to be made. If there are going to be some, I, I think we'll see changes in the engine room. But, you know, there's a lot of running. These games are coming thick and fast at the moment. And you are going to continue to need to rotate your squad. The last thing you want is another injury for the likes of Harrison Reed or, or anyone in the middle there. And I think he will rotate. I like Joe Bryan at, on, at the left wing position. Slightly less than everyone else does, I think. Um, <laughs> I think it's really aggressive playing a left back at left wing. And I think that, you know, playing a 3-11 is basically tantamount to being like, we need to double mark the right winger of the opposition side or they have a fullback who we can't deal with. And I know that Joe Bryan's defensive mishaps are well documented, but I'd still be reticent to play him further forward as opposed to at left back because I don't think the Birmingham have the kind of firepower that's really going to look I mean everyone seems to be able to trouble us defensively these days so maybe saying this is tempting fate but it's not like you know you look at that attack and you go oh that's a you know a madly talented attack even the likes of QPR you look at their attack you look at Berrietse you look at Asai Samuel even Jordan Hugill very good championship Mm. players you look at the Leeds attack we face and you think yeah very good footballers you look at the Brentford attack I don't feel the same about Birmingham. I don't feel like that attack is is what you need to worry about in the same way. I'd be tempted to, play, if we're going to play Joe Bryant, to just play him at left back uh, and add more attacking Arsenal to the fire and try and kind of blitz Birmingham away because we need a big result. And I think we need a result that's going to sort of statement us back into some sort of form because I don't think creeping wins over QPR and Brentford is going to send out the warning signs that Fulham are 
are somehow back and, and boost the morale in the camp enough to, to do that. What's amazing is that we've been talking the amount of times like how we have been creeping these, these results and we've been like, right, now let's t- time to make a statement win, time to make a statement win. And then it's kind of a scraped draw that's usually happened and whatnot. So, you know, only only once or twice, I would say only once really this season has Fulham had like a statement win. Yeah, handbreak off, the home, Millwall at home. Millwall at home. And also I was thinking about actually the Derby at home one, the 3-0, because Derby were, you know, starting to pick up a bit of form and then we absolutely threw, you know, tossed them to one side um, in the first half of that game. And then it would kind of petered out for the next next hour or so. Um, but, you know, I, is this is this side capable of a statement win? Yes, but, you know, we just haven't seen it enough. And, you know, but are we being are we being too harsh this team? Because obviously we've been a bit spoilt with how good Fulham have been in the championship the two seasons prior where we were full of statement wins, were they? You know, Birmingham are capable of threatening us. They do yeah, have yeah. some good individual players. The, Scott Hogan has, has been scoring goals for fun at this level for some time. It, he obviously hasn't hit the heights of of his Brentford days, really. And they've got, obviously, Jude Dortmund-bound Jude Bellingham, if I'm led to believe, as well. Um, yeah. So, you know, we shouldn't take our eye off the ball here. This isn't, a, this isn't a given coming up. No, not at all. And, you know, Jude Bellingham's a hell of a player and a serious talent. Um, but he's not a get-in-the-box-and-get-in-the-end-of-things kind of player. He's, he's very much a controller. And, yes, he has the ability to go wide and, and beat a player and, and be slightly dangerous. But I think you would be you know, reducing him if you put him out on the wing. He's a hell of a player in the middle. And, and Harrison Reed and Tom Kearney and whoever's with them uh, are going to have their hands full with you, Bellingham, at the weekend. Um, let's get on to some questions because we've got an, a, a fairly good amount. But I've got a good one from Daniel at Reed all over. It's quite a long one, so bear with me. But he says, <laughs> Harrison Reed, Steph, Joe, Onoma, Arta would all really place best in the eight role. And are all fairly similar. All decent carrying the ball. All love flying into a tackle and don't stop running. Once again yesterday we left any shape. Midfield disappeared the second we lost the ball. We haven't signed a proper six since Ollie Norwood, which is embarrassing. And has left us with the only proper six as an ageing K-Mac. Reed has been great since the Reed start and Arta poor. But that doesn't change the fact that they both kind of do the same thing. It's easy to blame Scott. But it seems to me the players have just been signed for the sake of it and for the sake of having big names with championship experience rather than signing players to play in a system and to play together. Additionally, as a result of having all these eights, Matt O'Reilly was never going to get his chance, even in cup games. I mean, I think there are some valid points here, but Nathan, I'll throw this to you first. Sure, yeah. There is something we said that, you know, especially when we look at the youth youth system and we look at the players that are coming up and you, and, and again, maybe it, maybe it goes to, we're not entirely sure of what type of system we want to play. We're not sure of what type of players we're buying in for the thing. It's the sort of the FIFA mode where you buy... You know the, the the superstars stack as many of them as as you can and expect to then run away with things. You know I would love to see a, a bit more of a deliberate approach to some of these positions. Um, and, and you know we we were sort of ruining the the loss of someone like Norwood, and and hoping that Harrison Reed doesn't go down the same um, track. But yeah, I, I think I think we are in, in some trouble in this area. It's, it's one of the blind spots in Fulham's side, and it's something that I, you know, I, I think it, it does mean that we sometimes don't have the depth in certain positions that we need, and we get we get caught out quite a bit. And uh, it also means it's, it's, I think it's a bit more difficult for players to break into the side from the youth system because we're stacked in some of those positions that 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 the youth team or the younger players are, are occupying. So, would love to see that change going forward. Yeah, I mean, 
there's there's quite a few things to unpick here um, from, I'm guessing that was an email, not a tweet. No, it was, um, it was actually four tweets. Four tweets, amazing. Um, yeah, there's quite a few things to unpick here. There's there's obviously something to be said about Ollie Norwood to start off with, that I, I really like Ollie Norwood and I'm so glad he's doing so well. The context of it was two years ago that he was a player that had played quite a lot, in, certainly in the first two thirds of that season. But in the, in the final third that really kicked Fulham over that line was he was a bit part player and he, he was a guy to break up things um, towards uh, towards the end of games. Um, it was almost always uh, McDonald and Johansson like it was the season before. And if you take that context for you know him to be signed after that, it would have been like, oh, that's nice. But no one was really screaming out for any... At the time, no one was really screaming out for Ollie Norwood to be made made a permanent signing at all. You know, well, I don't, I don't really know remember. about that. I, I think, think there, there were I think shouts for that. There were shouts, but I'm not exactly saying like it was. We knew it. Everyone was saying it at the time, and it was totally obvious, and we should have signed him. You know, it wasn't certainly on my radar. It certainly wasn't on a lot of other people's radar. You know, he's obviously a vital part of the squad at the time, but you know, no one was really saying like, yeah, we definitely need to get him. Also, you know, it was worth in. bearing in mind how much Brighton were trying to charge us for him at the time. I think the the fee was quoted at fifteen million, and then six months later, they sold him to Sheffield United for something like one point five million on a permanent. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, there, there's that as well. You know, you, you have to look at that and go, yes, in hindsight, would I spend fifteen million on Ollie Norwood? One hundred percent, of course, I would. Mm. But right now, at the time when I looked at it, I think I remember thinking that's a lot of money for for Ollie yeah. Norwood, and I'm not sure maybe we can go out and and, and spend better and. And look, it turns out that we probably couldn't and we were probably wrong to turn that down and, and maybe similar for Matt Target. But when those figures are being quoted and you're thinking, look, uh, 12 million for Matt Target feels like a lot. You know, if, if the whole thing never quite clicked. Uh, and so I think that it's easy to look at these things with hindsight and then think, oh, yeah, we should have done that. But you're, you're, you do have a very valid point that yeah. the, the fees being quoted at the time, I think we all thought were extortion. Yeah, Absolutely. And, you know, this it's quite easy to sit here without the checkbook and without the, looking at our bank balance um, and say we should throw money at this and throw money at that. Um, you know, we're not the ones that have control of that money and it does feel a bit distant. So, you know, and these are big risks that people are people are making, especially in the ages of financial fair play and whatnot. And we have to do we have to think about those those long term things and what's best what's best for Fulham Football Club in the future. And then going back to the other ten points that were raised in the, in the question, you know, like if you actually take all of those all of those players that we have at our disposal in that position, Onoma, Johansson, McDonald, Arta, Reed, are they all good enough players for this level in the championship? You would have to err on the side of yes that they are actually all good well, very good championship players, you know, they would probably knock on the door of most, if not all, um, rival clubs uh, in our position. And, you know, that's not a bad thing to have. It's not a bad thing to to, to have it. Uh, it's, you know, it must be a nice problem for Scott Parker to call upon and they probably all air each other, you know, gear each other up and whatnot. Um, you know, we did I hope, see... I hope... Rebe- <laughs> well, not, not in that sense, the gear. Um, although it's a bit worrying what what Arta has before games anyway um the you got to remember that in the middle part of the season remember we were literally down to our like eighth and ninth choice center midfielders when we had to bring on uh Matt O'Reilly in a game and whatnot um and now he's no longer a Fulham player so that shows um you know if injury 
and suspension problems happen, we need to call on these players and they need to be match ready and be able to p- perform at a level that is expected of this club at this particular time. Um, and, you know, the fact that we can have, have these discussions about who's better or worse in this position, the fact they are all actually all probably good enough is a good thing to to have potentially. And yeah. no one seems to be getting on our backs. No one's, you know, they all seem to be still playing the same way that Parker wants them to. And, you know, we're not seeing huge loose cannons in the team. I think personally, I think they've done a pretty good job in that regard. Um, could have been better, but could have been a hell of a lot worse. Okay. Three more quick questions and then we will call today's episode. But the first from our friend Richard Sol Bamba. He says, might be an unpopular opinion. He's been great for us as a player, but take time to take the burden off TC next season as captain and just let him play. Nathan, I'll throw it to you first. Uh, I saw this question come in and, you know, as, as much as we love Mr. Bamba, uh, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think it makes that big of a difference for TC. You know, I think he... I th- I, I, I don't know if you don't make him captain next year, if that really unfetters him and sets him free. I think you'd also throw the side of things where he would feel the slight potentially that, you know, we, we've, we've trusted with so much. He, he's proud of being part of this club. You know, I, I, I just would leave it alone unless, you know, I, I, I sort of think that's one of those things that you could overthink. Yeah, no, I mean, I was going to yeah add to this point, Farrell, that I, I think it's not the captaincy that's holding TC back, but the system that he's part of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think that um, perhaps when it's all on him, perhaps the pressure does get to him a little bit. I don't know whether the armband that he wears is anything to do with that. I don't think Tom Kearney has actually played all he, that badly the... Uh, since um well these past three games um he's played okay but we expect a lot from him because we know how good he is and we know how integral he is to this team um last night he was he was good um at the start of the game he you know um he wasn't as productive on the ball but as the game went on we saw his quality quality shine through you know we've got one of the best passers in the league and that you know if you if you watch any game you, you can tell how good he is on the ball um and you know i don't think that's anything to do with the with the captain's armband because since he's been given that captain's armband he's you know which was the the start of the the 2017-18 season when we when we sorry the 16-17 season and that was the first time we got to the playoffs and he was probably you know alongside you know players like Ryan Sessegnon and uh, uh, uh one of our best players if not the best player in the team and then obviously the next season after that again he was one of our our best players. Um, I think it is certainly down to the system that we're playing that it's, he's not probably uh, not not given enough freedom. I think one of his best performances is when he's allowed to kind of roam around, especially in that kind of like left-hand side, like we saw against Swansea at home just before lockdown. There was a game, I think the game against away at Charlton, although it was a very dull game, it was probably one of his best performances. Um, and that was when Josh Onomo was actually playing in the 10 and allowed... TC just a roam wherever he wants and pick up the ball and feed off um, some good quality players that are around. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, a nice problem to have that we've got we've got a player who's probably not playing at his best ability, but we know that as the season you know, goes on and draws to his close, we've got a bit more to expect from him. Yeah, and Jordan Harrison put here, concisely outlined the performances of Tom Kearney post-lockdown. Now, con- concisely putting anything isn't your forte, Farrell, so I'm going to answer <laughs> this one for you. Um, and I would say skipper sluggish 
stifled by Scotty. <laughs> so so that's that's my answer for the for the five word the five word review on on Kearney's post lockdown uh, post lockdown performances. Uh, and let's finish this uh, with a brilliant question from Steve at Steve nineteen sixty four SW six. He says, to have seven defenders on the pitch at the end, do you think that was enough? Or should we have gone with eight or nine just to make certain? Nathan, over to you. Yeah, I, I really would like to see Marcus Bettinelli also coming on the pitch and just playing him as a defender as well. So until we get to the point where we have 10, 10 defenders and and Rodak, I, I really won't be satisfied. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I ever played FIFA... That is definitely something I would try at one point in time to see how many of, of, of I could overload a position and break the game. So until Scott breaks the championship with the t- the, the one in ten, um, you know, I, I think we haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, to, to paraphrase a, a popular song, uh, with ten at the back, no one in attack. We're Fulham FC. We're on our way back. <laughs> uh, and with that bombshell, I will call this episode. The only thing that's left to do, Farrell Monk, is to name it. I think that we cannot look any further than the match winner, uh, naming it after the match winner. So I'll go with Mike Levy's sigh of relief. Now, I, I assumed you were going to go with the Irish Cafu, and now I'm now I'm disappointed. But I, I, I do feel We've probably like... named a pod in the past, so, <laughs> Irish Cafu, I think especially we... when you've been Secretary Jack. I think we potentially have done, yeah. So, uh, so, so I'll let this one slide. Um, well, thank you so much to Nathan Martin. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Farrell Monk. Obrigado, Jack. Well done again, mate, on, on on that hot mic. I really am kind of flabbergasted. 90 minutes on your own, talking away, is is a long time to be chatting, even for a man uh, with such an established lexicon as yours. I think uh, after we uh, after we close off now, I'll have to like put a limit on how much I'm going to talk for the next few days. My girlfriend will be pleased, to be honest, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, and there will be some there will be some good that comes of this after all. Um, thank you very much, boys. I've been Jack Collins. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. We'll be back after Birmingham, of course, with the latest podcast. Also on Instagram Live, straight after the game, Sammy will be doing his match reviews. as a YouTube video with Jack Kelly's thoughts on yesterday's QPR. Cam Ramsey's five thoughts are up. It's, a, it's a, a whirlwind of content over here at Filimish, so make sure you're checking it all out. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us, Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST, A-cast, A-cast, A-cast recommends. recommends.